The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. I want to start with this statement here today as we begin a brand new sermon series that we've simply entitled Taking Inventory. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we are going to look at what it means to have a biblical world view. Now, if you're here today and you're like, what does biblical worldview, what does that even mean? We'll define that here in just a moment. But before we do, I want to make this statement. An individual's worldview, whatever it is your worldview is or is not, your worldview has a massive influence on your behavior. Whether it's your actions, whether it's your behaviors, whether it's your habits, your worldview, the way you perceive the world, has massive influence, it has a massive impact, and uh, really has huge implications on your daily life. Uh, several years ago, probably actually it was maybe just last year or so, uh, my wife and the kids were going to fly out to Indiana to spend some time with her parents on the farm uh, there in central Indiana. And so flew out of Los Angeles, spent some time uh, with her family there uh, on the farm. And uh, about a week and a half later, it was time for them to come home. And so what I did is I got in my car. I drove all the way back down to LAX. It was time for their flight to arrive. So rather than parking the car and uh, meeting them, we just decided they'll come out of baggage claim. I'll pull my car up right next to them to jump in, and we'll be on our way. And uh, I got to that terminal. I pulled the car right up, and uh, I texted her, and I said, I'm here. And she said, wonderful. She said, "Uh, I'm here too. And I said, well, then... uh, if I'm here and you're here, uh, how come I don't see you? And sure enough, I was looking and I, I was there at the right terminal and, and uh, man, I couldn't see her anywhere. She said, no, I'm right out here. Uh, just look for me. And there's a lot of people. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just missing her and the kids. And, and so I said, I'm going to drive around again. Maybe somehow I just passed you and somehow we missed each other. And so I, I drove all the way around that horseshoe again and I came back and I said, now remind me, what airline are you at? And she told me what airline she was at and what terminal I was at. And I, I said, honey, I'm I'm telling you, I'm at the right terminal, I'm at the right airline, I'm parked right out in front, just, you you know what the car looks like, just kind of, maybe I won't be able to find you, you just find me, and uh, we'll be on our way. And and she says, she said, honey, I'm I'm right here, I'm in front of this terminal, I'm in front of this airline, I don't see you anywhere. I'm like, I'm here, like, like, and we're looking for each other. I said, I'm going to drive around one more time, and I'm going to be honest, by this time, like 15 or 20 minutes has gone by, and I'm just starting to get a little bit frustrated, because I feel like maybe there's something she's not telling me. I'm like, now, just be very clear. I said, you're at, you're at this terminal. I said, this is the airline you're at, and she said, yeah, there's, she said, there's this huge pillar right out in front. She said, me and the kids were standing right in front of the pillar. Man, I drive up there again, and I'm like, okay, honey, I'm at the right terminal. I said, I'm at the baggage claim part, you know, where the airline's supposed to be at. I am in, I'm literally parked right in front of that giant pillar that you're talking about, and I don't see you anywhere. What is going on? And by this time, I'm just irritated. And I'm going to be honest with you. I shouldn't have gotten irritated. I shouldn't have gotten frustrated. But I'm like, I, I'm just like, just, just like, I'm right here. Like, why, what's going on? I, and I felt like maybe she didn't really know. This is horrible. I felt like maybe she didn't really know where she was, and she was just kind of making stuff up. And I'm just like, ah, I'm so frustrated at this time. And finally, a fourth time, I drive all the way around, and she's like, I'm standing in this terminal. I'm at this airline. I'm standing in front of the pillar. I'm like, honey, 
here's the truth. I am standing right here. I'm right there. And unless you're wearing some type of invisible cloak, I'm like, well, something's happening. And so we're texting. By this time, about a half an hour has gone by. I'm irritated. She's getting a little frustrated. We're actually calling each other right now. And we're talking to each other on the phone. We're like, where? Finally, she says, uh, honey, uh, what airport are you at? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, yeah. In order for her to get a good deal on tickets, while she did fly out of LAX, uh, in order to get the good deal, she had to fly in to John Wayne Airport. And I said, what do you mean what airport? She said, I'm at the John Wayne Airport in Orange County. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'll be right there. (laughs) I got on the 405 and the 5. It took me about an hour with all the traffic to get there. And there she was. In front of the terminal, she said she would be in front of. In front of the, you know, airport, uh, she said she would be at. Standing in front of that pillar. I was so embarrassed, you know. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so, so sorry. You see, in that moment, my worldview was completely centered around LAX, Los Angeles Airport. Everything I saw, everything I could visualize, it was all, my entire worldview in that moment was centered around LAX, and it totally affected everything that Jenny was saying to me on the phone. I, I totally interpreted everything she was communicating through my current worldview. It's the same way in our life. Our worldview, the way we see the world around us, has huge implications on how we interpret the information that is given to us. It has huge implications on what we perceive and what we understand what's happening around us. And so that's why today we're going to spend some time talking about a biblical worldview. Um, We're going to dive into our text, Proverbs chapter number 23, verse number 7 today. Proverbs chapter number 23, verse 7. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad to have you, and and you really are our honored guest. In fact, inside the service program that you should have received on your way in, uh, there's a little connection card. I want to ask you sometime during the service, maybe to fill that out. We'd love to have a a record of your attendance, and and later on in the week, we'll send you some more information about the church and answer any questions uh, that you might have via email and things. And, and, And for our regulars and tenders inside, you'll also find a service program. It's a Bible study guide that you can use to follow along as we just teach uh, a little bit through the scriptures here this morning. If you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from Proverbs chapter number 23 and verse number 7. Now before we get into our text, I do want to say that uh, I'm not going to be preaching an entire sermon this morning. Uh, I got kind of working through the sermon, and it was way, way, way too long. And so out of love for you guys and trying to be as merciful as I could, I'm just going to give you the introduction of the sermon this morning, and we'll complete the sermon next week, all right? Does that sound like a plan? So if you're here today and you're like, man, that doesn't sound like you finished the thought, uh, I want to encourage you to come back next week. And and this morning, basically what we're going to do is I just want to give you three foundational statements that will lay the groundwork for where we're going to go in the upcoming weeks. Here's what the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter number 23 and verse number 7. The Bible says this in verse 7, for as he thinketh in his heart. This is interesting to me. It doesn't say as he thinketh in his mind. It does not say as he thinketh in his brain. It says as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Today I want to speak on this subject of 
uh, biblical worldview in a series we're simply calling Taking Inventory. Taking Inventory. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our Bible study this morning. Uh, Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the blessings that you poured out upon our early 930 service. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would continue to allow your word to saturate our hearts and lives. Lord, for this 11 o'clock service, we're asking and we're praying that your word would not return void. Uh, That you truly, through your spirit and your grace, would grant us a a biblical world view. That we would see the world around us through the lens of scripture, uh, through the lens of your spirit and your grace. And that we would respond in light of that understanding. Uh, Bless our time together as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. For those of you who have been in church world for some time, it's very easy for us to get to a place where we give the majority of our attention to changing our behaviors. It just—it seems to just kind of be the way life goes. You know, there's an, there's an action, there's a behavior, there's some habits that we have in our lives, and we get a little bit kind of like, man, this needs to change, this needs to be different. And so we spend a lot of our energy, we spend a lot of our effort, and we emphasize in a majority of ways just what needs to change in our behaviors. But what is interesting is if we attempt to change our behaviors, we, we attempt to change our actions, we attempt to change our habits, without changing the corresponding worldview that goes along with it, eventually those behaviors, those habits that we're trying to develop, eventually those are just going to kind of unravel. Because our behaviors are so hinged to a proper worldview. And so if we try to change behavior without changing the worldview, eventually it's all just going to collapse. And so as a Christian, it's vitally important that we are not just focused on behaviors, but we're also focused on having biblical worldview. Now, since I've used that word several times, let me take a moment to define it. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about when you say worldview? Let's put a definition up on the screens. What is a biblical worldview or or a worldview in general? A worldview is a collection of beliefs and presuppositions from which one sees and interprets the world around them. So when we use this word worldview, we're talking about, man, all our beliefs and our presuppositions, and from those Um, beliefs and presuppositions, some might refer to this as our human biases, we interpret and perceive the world around us. Now, because of this, because of a worldview, a person with a biblical worldview, that is people who allow the scriptures to be their collection of beliefs, they allow the scriptures to really be that thing that drives their uh, presuppositions, a person with a biblical worldview experiences and interprets and responds to reality in light of biblical principles. So what the scriptures teach literally becomes the primary grid for making decisions and interacting with the world around us. This is why having a biblical worldview is so important because it has a massive influence on our behaviors. It has a massive impact on our actions and our habits. Uh, One theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer, he's no longer alive, he he died last century, but he had this to say regarding our set of or collection of beliefs. He says, the man who comes to a right set of beliefs is relieved of 10,000 temporal 
problems. Say, what, is he, what does he mean by that? You come to a place where you have a biblical worldview, that your collection of beliefs where uh, your perceptions of reality has been totally informed by this book, he's basically saying that there are 10,000 problems that you will no longer have when you simply get your worldview aligned with the Bible. So, with that being said, as part of our introduction, I want to talk about what we're going to speak about this morning. Uh, Today we're going to begin a sermon series about a proper worldview of money and finances. Now, before you get all nervous and all scared, this is not necessarily a sermon series about giving, per se. Uh, We're not just going to talk about giving each week. What we are going to be talking about is how, as Christians, how, as believers, are we supposed to, uh, what beliefs should we have regarding money? That is, how do we interact with finances, and, and what relationship should we have with the money that God's placed in our lives? And that's a little bit of what we're going to speak about today. I think it was about 10 years ago or so, my family uh, was walking through Walmart. At this particular time, Landon, probably our, our third son, was maybe one or two years old. He wasn't really old at all, but he had just started to learn how to walk. And so we're walking through Walmart, and Landon's kind of behind us. And you know how little toddlers walk. They don't really walk. They just kind of waddle, if you know what I'm talking about. And every once in a while, they'll kind of fall down and, and different things. And so we're walking through Walmart, and I, I turn around, and I, I see Landon, and he's literally all on the ground, and he's reaching under one of the shelves at Walmart. I'm thinking, what in the world is this kid doing? you know and he's down there and we go back to where he is getting ready to pick him up and when he he jumps up he stands up and he's got this ten dollar bill in his hand and so we took a picture of it we're like man way to go and so he found this ten dollar he was so excited he wanted to go spend it right away he went straight to the candy aisle he knew exactly what he wanted to spend that money on and uh, he had found that and one of the reasons he found it is because because he was so short because he was so small he had a different perspective on the surroundings he saw things from a different angle, you could say. We, we could say it this way. He kind of had a different worldview, and that different worldview for him really gave him a financial advantage in that particular situation. You say, why do you share that? God gives us a biblical worldview of finances not because he necessarily wants something from us. God doesn't give us certain principles of money and finances because he, he wants this from us or he wants that from us. Primarily, God gives us a biblical, scriptural worldview of money because he wants something for us. We're going to talk a little bit about what he wants for your family what he wants for your relationships in this context. So this morning, like I said earlier, will be more of an introductory type sermon where we'll make a few foundational statements about a biblical worldview. And then in the following weeks, we'll unpack many of these scriptural ideas around a proper uh, worldview of money. So let me give you three statements that are going to lay the foundation for where we're going uh, in the weeks ahead. Biblical perspective number one. Biblical perspective number one. Our attitude and habits regarding money is a huge indicator of our spiritual heart condition. Let me ask you this question. When it it comes to money, what is your attitude? What are your financial habits? You say, why does it even matter? Because your attitude and habits regarding money is a huge indicator of our spiritual heart condition. 
the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 10 and verse number 21 is very interesting. There's a story, some of you are familiar with it. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the story of the rich young ruler. And this is what the Bible says in verse number 21. Then Jesus beholding him, this is this rich young ruler Jesus has just been teaching. The rich young ruler stands up and he says, hey, Jesus, everything that you're teaching, I already do. He basically is kind of patting himself on the back. He says, I'm good. I've been able to do all the things that I'm supposed to do. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus loved him because that's what Christ does. But he said unto him, one thing thou lackest. He says, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. The Bible says he was sad at that saying. And went away grieved, for he had great possessions. What's interesting about this story is, is Jesus is not saying, hey guy, you need to go sell everything and give it to the poor so, so you can get to heaven. He's not, he's, that's not what he's saying at all. But what Christ is doing in this passage is he is using this young man's financial portfolio. He's using his riches to help him see the posture of his own heart. He's using this man's wealth to help him accurately see what's going on in the spiritual realm. Because you know what? A lot of us are like this rich young ruler. We, we kind of pat ourselves on the back. We say, man, we, we go to church on Sunday mornings. Oh, man, I, I read my Bible occasionally. I've memorized some verses. Uh, God, I'm really good. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he's going to say, I'm going to, for a moment, I want to use your money and your perspective and your relationship with money to give you a very clear view of what's actually happening in your heart. Because money has an unbelievable, uncanny ability to reveal what's actually going on deep down inside. Uh, Randy Alcorn wrote a book on biblical financial worldview. He had this to say. He says, God sees our faith and our finances as inseparable. So many times Jesus speaks on the subject of money. So many times Jesus speaks on the subject of finances. In fact, many theologians believe, as they've kind of taken up the different passages, they believe that Jesus spoke on the subject of finances and money as much, if not more, than any other single subject in the Scriptures. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Is it because God's broke? And so he needs to teach on the subject of money? No, here's why. It's what we said a moment ago. It is because our attitude and our habits regarding money is a huge indicator of our spiritual heart condition. The way you interact with your finances shows so much about what's actually important to you. But that begs the question, why? Why is that? Let me just get for just a moment, let me give you a reason. Sometimes, if, if I were to ask you this question, what is money? Kind of a philosophical question for a moment. What is it? You'd be like, well, it's, it's kind of this green paper. You know, it's got a president on the front. You know, it's stuff I could use to buy things with. And, and that would be an expression of money. That would be, that would be a, a utility of money. But what is it at its essence? For most of us here, you know what our money is for most of us? It is a symbolic expression. It's a symbol of our life turned into currency. You say, what do you mean? Most of you get your money 
because you go out Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday, you go work a job, you give your time, you give your energy, you give your effort, and then the world returns that with some currency. So in a very real sense, what money is at its core is your life. It's your time, it is your energy converted into a currency that you can trade with other people. And this is why money is so important and why it's such a great indicator of your heart because in a very real way, your money is your life. It's your time, it's your energy, it is you transmuted into a form that you can trade with other people. And this is why Jesus again and again and again addresses this subject of money because it's more than just green paper. It's more than just something we use to buy things with. It is literally our lives, our energy, our time translated into something that we can trade with. You see, our attitudes and habits regarding money, how we use our money, how we think about money is a huge indicator of our spiritual heart condition. And that's why Jesus speaks of it. Because we want to convince ourselves like the rich young ruler, I'm doing good. Look what I, I go to church. I read the Bible. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And Jesus says, I'm going to use your money to show you what's actually happening in your heart. To cut through the illusions and show you the facts in the spiritual realm, all right? Now, over the next few weeks, all right, as we deal with the subject of a biblical worldview of finances, we are going to talk about biblical principles regarding things like, what does the Bible say about debt? Because there's some practical things in the scripture, and I think it's important that we as believers, uh, we know, what does the Bible say about debt? How, how, how can we get out of debt, you know, in the, in, in the day and age in which we live? Uh, the Bible speaks of spending money, how to spend money biblically and responsibly. The Bible speaks on this, and I think it's important to know. Uh, the Bible talks about investing, how to invest responsibly and wisely. The Bible talks about saving money, but, okay, while the Bible talks about all of these things, ultimately, the biblical principles that we're going to share regarding money is first and foremost to help us to glorify God and grow our faith. And that is at the very heart of our interaction, our engagement with money and finances. That is ultimately what God is attempting to accomplish with the funds, with the money he entrusts to us, which leads us to the second biblical perspective that I want to unpack today, and that is simply this. Biblical money management. So the Bible talks a lot about money management. Biblical money management is a part of God's plan to grow our faith, not just our finances. This is really important. Sometimes we get this idea that, man, the reason God talks about money so much is because he wants us to be blessed and he wants us to have abundance and he wants us to be able to have big houses and nice cars and awesome vacations and cool clothes and he wants our financial position to be increased. And, and, and I will say, sometimes as we enact biblical principles, sometimes that happens. But that's not God's primary primary um, heartbeat on why he gives us a biblical worldview of finances. His primary heart is that we, as we enact these biblical money management techniques, ultimately why he wants us to do that is to grow our faith. 
All throughout the scriptures, God gives us this biblical worldview. He gives us these principles so that our faith can develop. Let me give you some scripture here for a moment. Luke chapter number 16, verse 11 says this. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Gospel of Luke saying, hey, if the way you use your finances, you use your money, the way you get your money, the way you spend your money, the way you perceive, the attitude you have toward money, if it's not been trustworthy, if it's not, if it's not in alignment with Scripture, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, he goes on to say, who's going to trust with you the true riches? There are things that are more important than money. There is things that's more important than wealth. And God says, hey, there are some valuable, important things that I want to entrust you with, spiritual things that I want to entrust you with. But the reality is simply this. If we're not trustworthy with, with wealth and, and with just physical money, it's more than likely we're not going to be entrusted with the spiritual things. See, biblical money management is part of God's plan to grow our faith to grow our spiritual walk. It's, it's to develop our heart. And this is why Jesus speaks about it so often. It's because it's one of the best ways for us to develop a spiritual uh, worldview. Uh, in light of this passage, Luke chapter number 16, one theologian sa said it this way, how we handle money is one of the most accurate reflections of our relationship with God. That's strong. How we get our money, how we spend our money, our attitude as we're holding our money, the posture of our heart as we engage with money is one of the biggest indicators of our relationship with God. Why? Go back to what we said a moment ago. Because really at its core, what money is, is your life translated into currency. And so how you engage your money is really just another way of looking at how you engage your life. And so you can say with your lips, oh, I surrender all, and we can sing worship songs, and we can lift our hands, and we can raise our voices all we want, but our pocketbook, our finances really reveal what's actually going on in the heart. And that's why it's so important. That's why we've got to allow the Bible to inform these parts of our lives. I remember early on in and Jenny and I's ministry, we were really young. I think she was about 21 when we got married. We had just gotten into ministry. This picture of us, I think it was like 15 or 16 years ago. And uh, I'd just gotten into ministry. We were pastoring just a tiny little church out in the Mojave Desert. And uh, we were out there. And just because of the situation, they didn't have much finances. They weren't really able to pay us. And so, but we wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, we just wanted to be a help to people and serve people and, and reach people. And it was during this season in our lives that God really uh, started to just impress upon our hearts and lives that, that we wanted to allow the scriptures to inform our worldview of finances. And it was during this season that we really started to say, Lord, okay, we're just gonna, we're gonna try to do our best to follow you. And, and we were reading through Proverbs and some different passages and we came to Proverbs 3 and and basically, for that early stage of our ministry, where we started out, is we started out using what we called a 10-10-80 principle. 10-10-80 principle. So what was that? As we studied the scriptures, we started early on in our relationship. We took the very first 10%. The scriptures will sometimes refer to as first fruits. We took that first 10%, and we just gave it to the Lord. 
We gave it away. We gave it through generosity, and that was, that's where the first 10% went and went to him. With the second 10%, we put it in what we called an emergency fund. I don't know if you realize this, but we live in a broken world. Things don't always go to plan. In fact, if you've been alive for any length of time, you've had seasons where the tires on your car went flat, and you're like, man, we got to pay for this. Where something on the house breaks, where a kid falls, gets hurt, and now there's doctor appointments. How many of you realize emergencies just happen? They always have, and they always will. The Christian who buries their head in the sand and pretends those things don't happen is going to get into a ton of financial trouble. And so we recognize life, this is the way life works. It's not like, oh no, how did this happen? Every person should be able to recognize things happen in life. We live in a broken world with sinful people. That's just going to be the norm, and they need to expect it. This is not an anomaly when this stuff happens. It's just the way life works. Bad things happen. And those bad things have financial implications. And we knew that. And so we took some principles from Proverbs and said the second 10%, we're going to save. We're just going to do it. And then this was probably the hardest part. We said, you know what? We are going to figure out by God's grace, we're going to trust the Lord to figure out how to live on 80%. Figure it out. Let's figure out how to do this. Now, here's what was hard for us. At that particular time, what we were getting paid over the course of a month did not even pay for our rent. It's a fact. We didn't, even, we didn't even make enough money to pay for our rent. If you'd have taken 100%, it, it wouldn't have even covered our rent. This was, this was not like for a week or a month or something. I mean, we're talking years. And you say, during that time, and I'm going to just be totally honest and transparent, living in alignment with biblical principles during those years was extremely, extremely difficult to say we're going to give and we literally did not have it. We're like, like the Macedonians, like it wasn't even there. We're going we're gonna to put away and save because we know bad things are going to happen and we're going to figure out how to live on 80% when 80% was not enough. You say, well, why would you do that? That sounds unwise because here's what. In that moment, we were forced to trust God in ways we wouldn't have had to otherwise. Man, we were forced into a situation where it wasn't just talking the talk, but we had to get on our knees and say, God, you say that you will provide. And God, we're taking you at your word. Please, God, do this. And I'm going to say this. Every time God provided, it grew our faith. One of the reasons why I will sometimes struggle in my faith and sometimes maybe you will struggle in your faith is because we do not have seasons where we stretch ourselves trusting God with that which is really important to us. Biblical money management is God's plan, not just to grow your finances. It's not just so you can get rich and have more money in the bank. At its very core, this is about growing your faith. And I'm afraid that in a lot of churches, there are Christians who have been sitting like the rich young ruler. I dot my I's, I cross my T's, I go to church, I do this. And it's like Jesus wants to take his word, he wants to pull back the curtain of your heart, and he wants to use your financial position to show you what's actually going on inside. And like the rich young ruler, you say, well, maybe, maybe this is not what I signed up for. But I don't want to make it sound like if you, if you start adopting a big biblical worldview of money that it's instantly all of a sudden health, wealth, and prosperity, and Jesus is going to make you rich, and you're going to have a yacht and a Mercedes Benz. Jesus doesn't promise that. But I, here's what he does promise. He'll use it to grow your faith. 
He'll use it to draw your heart closer to Him. And in light, He does give us the promise that He'll provide all of our need. Not necessarily all of our want, but all of our need. And what a tremendous, awesome, wonderful privilege that that is. So second, biblical money management is God's plan to grow our faith. He uses other things as well. This is not the only thing He uses to grow our our heart and our faith, but it's one of the big things. And we want to come into alignment with that. Biblical perspective number three. Where we do and do not allocate our funds heavily influences our passion and values. Okay? The funds that we have, the money that we have, we go to work, we work a job, whatever we do with that resource, wherever we place it, wherever we put it, heavily influences our passion and values. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 6, verse 19. It says this. Jesus says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Notice this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is, this is an important, important biblical principle. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's two sides of this coin, and I want us to look at both sides. The first side of this is, how do I know where my heart is? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can even know it? Do you realize that your heart will deceive you just like the rich, man, rich young ruler's heart deceived him? And if you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm good. I'm really good. I'm doing great. I'm following God's laws. I'm going to church. I'm being a good Christian. His heart was deceived. And your heart might be deceived also. And God uses finances to show us where our heart is actually at. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. You can go to your bank statements. Look at where your money goes and get a huge indicator of what is actually important to you. I've heard people, man, my heart, I have such a heart for God, and I praise Him, and I worship Him, and I sing to Him, and God means so much to me, and yet the reality is very little of our finances goes in that direction. I've heard people, I just love people so much. I, I love the homeless, and I love helping people in need, and that's where my heart is, and yet very little resources goes in that direction. If we were to look at the bank statements, we would find that, man, after the bills are paid, and after needs are taken care of, most of the rest goes to entertainment. I'm not saying entertainment's bad. Please, I'm not vilifying or demonizing entertainment. I hope all of us have time to, for some rest and relaxation. But if we get to a point where everything that's left over goes to our entertainment, goes to sporting events and vacations and coffee and better cars and bigger houses and and that's where that excess funds goes to just mark it down that's that's actually where your heart's at you can tell yourself and you can tell me anything else you want to tell me here's the reality it's probably not true and i'm not trying to be mean i'm not trying to be angry i'm just this is just this is what is why because where you do and do not allocate your funds heavily influences your passion and values i like to say it this way if you want to jot this down Where your money goes, your heart flows. Where your money goes, your heart flows. I I did this in the first service. I hope it works in the second service here. Got a little object lesson here. All right. (laughs) 
Here we go. It's this idea. We're like, well, my heart, I have a heart for God. I have a heart for Jesus. I have a heart for the lost. I have a heart for missionaries. We'll come to church and we'll talk about that. But you know what's interesting? Is really, wherever our money goes, mark it down, it will be long before our heart follows. Doesn't matter. Wherever I send my money, eventually, my heart follows. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I I think we get this idea, well, I can put my money there, but my heart will stay over here. I'm just telling you, it's not how it works. If you're the type of person, you all, all, and your money moves, and it's like all about the clothes and the shoes, and that's where your heart's at. Guess where your passion, guess what your values are going to be? Be clothes and shoes. If all, if man, of all your, all that money, it goes to vacations, and I let go. I hope I don't lose this here. (laughs) That's where your heart's going to go. That's what your passion's going to be. That's what your values are going to hold. Now, I want to be very careful because I realize everybody here is in a different financial situation. And I get that. Very much aware. And while this applies to many of us, the reality is specifically those of us who have expendable income. I know there are some here that are in, you know, we've gotten into situations where, man, I I, I can't even pay my bills. And we're going to talk about, you know, how we can navigate through that biblically. But when we have that expendable income, can I ask you this? If for some, if some way you're able to have enough money to live in a, man, a pretty big house, but somehow you don't have money to serve people with, and you have enough money to go on a lot of vacations and take weekends here and weekends there and do this and do that, but for some reason, there just never seems to be anything in a, in, with a spirit of generosity. I'm just here to say that that's, you've got to let that be an indicator of what's actually going on in your heart said this in the first service. I don't even know. I think I'm supposed to just hold on to this. I was like, man, I'll stand here for a moment and hold this, and I guess you guys can take pictures and post them on to social media about, ah, see, that's all pastors ever talk about is money, you know? They're floating around with this money balloon. (laughs) Like I said a moment ago, this is not primarily, this is not primarily uh, about giving. What we're primarily talking about is our attitude toward money. I'm, I'm talking primarily about what is our perspective of finances. So we made three statements as we're kind of laying the foundation for this. Number one, our attitudes and habits regarding money is a huge indicator of our spiritual health. Where our money goes is a huge indicator of what's actually happening in our soul. Number two, biblical money management is God's plan to grow our faith. Biblical money management is one of God's tools to grow our faith. And thirdly, where we do and do not allocate our funds heavily influences our passion and values. So here's my question. What is it that influences your worldview of money? Can, I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what, you're, what is influencing or what's not. I'm just asking you, let the Holy Spirit tell you. What is it that most influences your worldview about money? Is it, uh, is it, is it uh, you know, something in culture? Is it, man, what you see celebrities doing with their money? Is that what influences your perspective on finances? What you see the Joneses doing next door, what you see your neighbors doing, is that what influences your perspective of money? Is it something in culture? 
You're looking through the magazines, you know, through the, the gossip blogs and, and what you see the models and celebrities and, you know, movie stars doing. That's what influences what you're going to do with your money, how you engage money. What you see, you know, those people wearing or these people wearing, that influences it. This culture, maybe it's the culture of the family you grew up in, and we're going to talk about this. Maybe your family grew up with a mentality, scarcity mentality of finances. And that scarcity mentality now has influenced your perspective of finances. Maybe you're the opposite. Your, fi- your family did one thing with finances and you hated it so much, you're just going to the other, excre- other extreme. And it's more of this response to it. And that's what, in- that it- that's what influences your perspective of finances. Maybe it's culture. Maybe it's a personal opinion. Well, I read some books and I went to a seminar and, and I got some ideas and, and that's what informs my, my view of money. It's my opinion. I just, this is what I think about it. That may not be bad. Or... Or do you allow God, do you allow his word to be the final authority when it comes to your worldview, how you perceive, how you interpret the finances that God entrusts to you? You see, God gives us a biblical worldview of finances not because he wants something from us. This is key. This, I want to wrap this up and I'm done. God gives us a biblical worldview of finances not because he wants something from us, but because he wants something for us. He wants your faith to grow because as our faith enlarges, we get to experience more richly a peace that passeth understanding. We get to experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. We get to experience hope beyond hope. We get to more profoundly experience love and all of the fruit of the Spirit gets to be more richly enjoyed and sensed and experienced by faith. By faith. So we want to allow God to position our lives so our faith can be cultivated and our faith can be grown. So here's the takeaway. There's one thing I want to challenge you with, and that's this. Can I encourage you to commit to developing a biblical worldview of finances? Can I encourage you with that? I'm not telling you to take what I say. I'm not telling you to take what they say on, you know, NBC or whatever the case. Just say, God, what does your word have to say? And by God's grace, I just want to align to a biblical worldview. And if it's easy, awesome. And if it's hard, I want to use that hard moment to allow God to inform my heart and grow my faith through the crucible of those difficulties. By God's grace, get to a place where even in my finances, I'm glorifying the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it will be worth it. And let's ask the Lord to do what only he can do. As I said a moment ago, this was just the introduction. I know we didn't get deep into passages and start to expositionally work through them. We will do that. But I wanted to give us three statements to kind of frame our perspective of what does it mean to take inventory, to have a biblical worldview in every area of our life, including those areas that have a profound impact on how we see the world around us. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.